0: Mic check, mic check. Let's okay. go. So, episode 60.
1: Um, <laughs> episode 60. Are we recording yet?
0: Yeah, we're on. We're live. How about that NCAA tournament, dude? How about that, man? You, you,
1: we're supposed to be coming in hot for episode 60. You can't be talking about how, how, how about that NCAA tournament. Listen, I know it's been a good week or so since that happened. But honestly, that was probably one of the better March Madness tournaments we've had in a really long time. Especially out here in LA. Absolutely, man. UCLA, right? 11 seed or oh. one of, um, what, four or five teams to ever, uh, be an 11 seed and make it, and make it to the final four. It's pretty incredible. Oh yeah. L- LA is just doing it. I mean, we've, we've honestly, this pandemic, it's just been like, you know, we, we have not missed a beat Man, We're just pushing through this. It's been awesome.
0: Uh, I see some people may argue with that, but yeah, as a sports town, been killing it for sure. USC made the Elite Eight, so Lakers, Dodgers. The NCAA tournament got us thinking with UCLA's great run. Usually, no one considers UCLA an underdog, but an 11 seed, like you said, only the I think fifth team to ever make the Final Four as, a, as an 11 seed. Um, but it got us thinking about underdogs, Cinderella stories, and that we want to do a podcast on that because we haven't done one
1: yet. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, the underdog story is a great American story. Okay, it's an American pastime. Americans love underdog stories. And you know, so whether it's the in sports, the Cinderella story, um, even in like the American workforce, right? Just that guy in the movie, right, that just kind of comes out of nowhere, you know, from that small town. Started from the bottom, you know, now, that just yeah. kind of this nobody, but he comes on the scene and just they don't see him coming. That's like something that, you know, it it, it really, it really lights our fire
0: yeah david Americans. versus goliath like it's mm-hmm. it's rooted in our biblical absolutely absolutely so today we're inspired by the ncaa tournament so we're going to talk about underdogs we're going to talk about the psychology of an underdog What? and then we're going to we're going to talk about the most legendary underdogs in sports history the
1: legends yeah so
0: uh, let's no, do let's it let's
1: do it man oh, no, it's, this is going to be a great one
0: do, do you That NCAA tournament was awesome. UCLA Bruins represented the city well.
1: Oh, God, rep,
0: rep like we percent. said off the top, love it, man. California love. They were one of the last four teams to make it into the tournament. They actually had to play a playing game even to get into the field of sixty-four. Bro, they were like underdogs.
1: Yeah, no. UCLA's had all kinds of problems. I mean, every time I turn on the the news in the last couple of years, it's some like some weird situations, some like scandal. I mean, you know, the ball brothers scandal, um, you know, and different things, coaching changes, yep. uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, the program is obviously hasn't been the historic franchise that, um, it once was so yeah, for this to happen, especially, you know, with all the, the things going on with this pandemic, it's just, it's so uplifting for this yep. city. Yep. Another, so another uplifting moment for this city. It's great. So-
0: they had a second-year coach and many people, they thought it was like their ninth choice in, in coaches. Like they got Mick Cronin from Cincinnati. A lot of people were upset about that hire, but look at them. They they sneaked their way into the tournament. They lost four in a row before they got in the tournament. So they had the play-in game against Michigan State. They were underdog, three-point underdogs. They were actually underdogs in every single game in the tournament, except when they played Abilene Christian in the second, in the second round. Oh, well,
1: does anybody even know where that's? I know where it is only because you know in my future life or future life uh only because in my past life you know as an intelligence officer i had the i don't know if i'll call it privilege um but of being stationed in a small town called san angelo texas uh for a period where i got some training done that happened to be very close to abilene christian middle of nowhere so it would be really sad if a powerhouse program like ucla were not favored in that game but who knows?
0: Yeah. So they they upset BYU. They upset number two seed Bama. They upset number one seed Michigan. And then going against Gonzaga in the final four, they made the final four. Which Hold is on. First of all,
1: Gonzaga was undefeated. Undefeated in oh, Gonzaga. Undefeated. Okay. And
0: yeah, many people were clamoring that they were one of the best college basketball teams of all well, time. And this, yeah. is, this is kind of, this was such a, I think, such a great matchup because you got your perennial underdog in Gonzaga. Never won a national championship coming from... A small conference out in the west coast they've really made a name for themselves recently because they've been a pretty dominant program but they've never won a national championship this is the second final four they've made but in this situation they were by far the favorites they were 14 and a half point favorites everyone expected ucla all right you made the final four you kind it's of just huge snuck in there but wow. guess what you're going to get blown out by gonzaga and ucla is this historic program Eleven national championships obviously john wooden um, so many different players in the NBA, but they were by far the underdogs in this, in this matchup. Gonzaga yeah, that's has such arguably, a slap in the face though. Yeah.
1: 14 points though, man. Yeah. That's such a slap. In I the mean, face. <laughs> that's fine.
0: and I think a lot of people bet on Gonzaga.
1: Cause, you should not be here. <laughs>
0: Cause right now, if you look at it, Gonzaga had four NBA guys, arguably, yeah. uh, UCLA before uh, the tournament, you might not think they had any NBA guys, but I'll tell you what, Johnny Juzang definitely worked himself into the, uh. And to most likely the lottery and that game in itself was one of the best college basketball games, if not the best college basketball game I've ever seen.
1: No doubt. Yeah. I mean, all the, all the experts, all the commentators are saying that, I mean, it's absolutely in my, so for me, I, I I'm aging myself here, but I did end up seeing that, uh, that game where Christian Leitner hit that game winner against Kentucky. You know, that, that turnaround jumper at the buzzer, I saw that game. Oh yeah. That game was bananas. That game was definitely bananas, you know, and Duke had a really up-tempo style, the game went back and forth. That was just incredible. that was, that was absolutely amazing. And, and that would for me would probably be right up there, but other than that, and yeah, other than that, in my lifetime, at least it was amazing. Just down to the wire. That was a great game.
0: Yep. It was, it was back and forth and that, that's really kind of that UCLA run inspired us to do this, this podcast about underdogs, NCAA tournament, March Madness. That's when you have so many different underdogs and there was a lot of upsets this year. A lot of underdogs kind of at least one, one or two games, um, oh, yeah. Loyola, Chicago upset. Number mm-hmm. one seed Illinois. We ne- remember them. They were a uh, 11 seed back in 2018 that made the final four. Um, yep. That's right. This, Sister Jean, shout out to her.
1: I do remember that. Yeah, well, that, and that's what the, that's what what makes March Madness so great, though. I mean, every year there is at least one big upset that makes headlines. And, you know, it's like the it, it is the great underdog story. March Madness. I mean, that that's what March Madness has always been about. And, you know, it, it really the whole format of March Madness is is, I think, why we have so many upsets, why there's so many underdogs that come out of it, because it's set up perfectly for it. Right. It's their take all one and done tournament, right? There's no, you go home, you know, win or go home. And at this point, you know, everybody kind of feels like a champion when they first start this tournament, right? Because you either got in because you were kind of the best of the best all year, or because you won your respective conference tournament, right, Mm -hmm. even if you're a bad team, you won that tournament. And so you're feeling yourself, you've matured at this point, you're 30 plus games in as a team, whatever you started at, in the beginning of the year, like you've kind of come full circle now, you're at your essentially the best you're going to be, and it's just like you're. It's no like home court advantage, right? It's just like whatever, man. Let's just like go and lay down the line and see what happens. Yep,
0: exactly. In between the lines is all that matters, and I think that's why you love it because you got these teams that often come into the the tournament underlooked, underappreciated. Or just no one really knows about them, so there's no pressure there as compared to the perennial favorites who have these rabid fan bases that expect ex- excellence. You've got teams like I wanted to bring up Davidson back in uh when was that? That was a, oh. Steph Curry's uh time in college, right? Yeah, it was Steph Curry. So 2008. I'm hard to imagine Steph has been lead that long. It's unbelievable. That was Davidson's run. So they were a 10 seed, and they had won their conference tournament to get in, coming from a small conference. And he was killing it. And he he brought his team all the way to the lead eight. had sure never heard of Davidson before that. And that he put himself on the map. He put Davidson on the map. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the rest is history, dude, revolutionized basketball as we know it. Yeah. Now everyone is shooting oh, yeah. 30 footers like, and, and that started with March Madness. I mean, obviously the groundwork was laid years before that, but you had a team like that who had several upsets made it to the lead eight and. It's just so fun to watch teams like that. We had VCU that one year, 11 seed led by Shaka Smart. Yep. So many different great stories. George Mason, Coming that was up. the original back in uh, 11 seed that made the final four, um, which was was exciting. And it's these things, you're right, in a sense. Like it's the March Madness tournament is just perfect because you have one game, anything can happen in that one game. And the, these underlooked teams often they just go out there and they punch the favorites in the face. And we're going to get to why the dynamic between the underdog and the favorite, why sometimes it actually favors the underdog and why these upsets can happen. Another legendary run. And it's not like your stereotypical underdog in the sense, but when Connecticut won with Kemba Walker.
1: Oh yeah. That was an amazing run. I mean, Kemba's a, you know, he's a smaller guy, you know, that that's, oh, yeah. that's the crazy thing about when I see those kinds of runs with like, you know, these, these guys that are just like, Basically having to like soar among the trees, Yeah, you know, when they go into the paint, they just, you got to be fearless.
0: He was, he amazing. was, he's like your prototypical underdog in the NBA and this guy's six feet tall and probably yeah. like 180 pounds. So he's shorter back. than me. It's amazing. Yeah. In Yukon at that, they were nine and nine, 500 in the big East. They went just went on a tear in the big East tournament and didn't, didn't look back and won the national championship. And uh, similar to Steph Curry, not to quite that degree, but Kemba Walker, all-star in the league and it all started back then at uconn when they made that legendary run um so there's all these classics nc state with jimmy valvano we got villanova the eight seed one back in the 1980s just so what i don't know what's been your what's your favorite underdog story from the NCAA tournament i i
1: would have i'd have to say george mason um and i had to say that because george mason is actually pretty close to where i grew up where i was raised i was raised in maryland but anybody that is familiar with that part of the country, you know, we call that the DMV, right? So that's DC, Maryland, Virginia. It's sort of like Southern Maryland, which includes where I grew up, uh, DC, and then Northern Virginia. That's kind of a metropolitan area in and of itself. And George Mason, Mason is sort of considered part of that Northern Virginia complex. So that's like home, you know, and I, I know people that graduated from George Mason. I have friends, you know, people I grew up with that went to George Mason University. You know, so I I mean, I I've never, I mean, growing up right in that part of the uh, the country, I never in my wildest dreams associated George Mason University with basketball. Okay. Never. And I'm from that area. Yeah. So first off, to see them even in the tournament to begin with, I didn't even know they had a basketball team. Okay. <laughs> uh to see them in the tournament to begin with was <laughs> incredible. To see them perform the way that they did was unbelievable. But here's one thing I did know. And this is what is kind of cool being a local guy when you have these trade secrets. I know that in spite of the fact that it's a very small state in both size and population, Maryland knows it's basketball, okay? There are some great developmental programs, and it's been historic. I mean, ever since I was a kid, basketball is one thing that, you know, Maryland knows, Maryland develops great, you know, Kevin Durant, right, is a product of Maryland basketball. He actually went to high school with my my first cousin. Oh. Um, we were in the same class over at Montrose Christian. And, but there's so many great, you know, products Got coming out. out of this really small, little tiny part of the country. Baltimore itself is, Known, you know, regionally, you know, the Charm City, if the Charm City Classic is a big basketball tournament. It's a, it's, it's that, you know, you, we, you and I connect on this all the time, Tori. You're from Indiana. I'm from the Baltimore area. You know that that blue collar, you know, sort of like, you know, hard hat, lunch pail. Like, if you know anything about the Baltimore Ravens fan base, the Pittsburgh Steelers fan base, you understand this. Like, oh yeah you know there's something about those that you know that can grind you know that come up you know in the grind those communities really get behind those types of athletes those those types of stories oh, yeah. and those types of athletes are made in the state of maryland particularly in the in the baltimore area yeah. and um anyway man that's an underdog story right i mean that's the great american story is an underdog yeah. story
0: that's what i like i like UCLA being an 11 seed making a run, that's still cool because, but that's a blue chip kind of historic program, but a George Mason, a VCU, these guys, these aren't blue chip recruits. These, these are guys that have been, obviously they have college scholarships playing D1 basketball, but they've been, they're overlooked. They're not, they don't have the fair fanfare of a guy that goes to Indiana University or, or Chapel Hill or Duke or Kansas or UCLA. Not at all. Um, Not at all. all i think that that speaks to these individuals really love the game they have passion for the game they have this internal drive this internal motivation because they they're not really that much they're not on a pedestal like these other guys that are playing in in front of maybe 20 to thirty thousand fans every night so i think that when you see like teams like vc or george mason or loyola chicago a few years ago make these runs it's not that surprising honestly because at the end of the day these prob- these individuals. Not to say that the at the big problems they don't work hard, but some of these guys at the smaller programs, they're, they're grinding and they're grinding. They have that internal motivation. They're grinding, yeah, and they, they don't they don't take anything for granted. They don't take anything for granted. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We can say they maybe they don't need as much as the 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 positive reinforcement because they've internalized that. They don't need the fanfare. They don't need the the free Nike swag or Adidas swag. they yeah, they they're just they just hit it work. They just hit it work. You know what I mean? Yep. He's here to work. Yeah. So they're not, not going to be disappointed when
1: they show up to the, you know, the Sweet 16 tournament, the Coliseum, and, you know, they don't have like, you know, the, the pretty lockers that they used to have, you know, back at their home gym. You know, they don't, that doesn't, that's not going to throw them off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be steady. <laughs> but It's all about, you know what? Let, let's also talk about this, though. I know we're going to get into the psychology, but I mean, there's something about these teams. It's 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 yeah, I mean part of it's obviously like they doubted us and um in and, and you know you wanna kind of prove them wrong. And of course you have that that spirit already, that you know, that grit and grind spirit, but it's also something about momentum here, you know, at work, because you can definitely see that in many ways there's like kind of a catch fire to this, you know, that happens where it's like this isn't necessarily indicative of like what happened all season, right? Like in fact, in many cases, there were there were things that happened along the way. They may be like tragedies or just, you know, they lose players or, you know, they they go through some sort of like difficult spell, difficult period. Um, and and then like either in and around the tournament at the right time is when they just kind of figure
0: it out oh, yeah. you know, and they catch fire. They catch fire. They catch that momentum. We've talked about momentum before, getting in that flow state. And you're, you're just humming. So I think I I like that you brought that up because I think when you get into that flow state, that's when you start garnering that momentum. You know, we, we, we all know when we talked about, it's easier to get in a flow state when there's less external distractions, um, you can still get in that flow state with external distractions if you have good mental fitness, but it's easier for these, maybe these underdog teams to get in that, that flow state to garner that momentum because they have less of these external distractions. And if anyone who's watched the tournament and watched it this year knows one of the keys to making a deep run is having really good guard play and really good shooting. You saw it with Baylor winning the national championship. Um, you saw it with Johnny Juzang in UCLA. Juzang was ice cold. I think He averaged almost close to 30 points a game. And every time he shot the ball, I thought it was going in and, and it, it, it almost went in every time and they made a run because of that. Uh, uh, George Mason, they had two guards that were shooting unreal hitting three point shots left yeah. and right. And that's, that ultimately leads to, them making those deep runs and that's because they're in that flow state more often they're just relying on that muscle memory they're not getting they're not getting distracted by other things and if i remember correctly george mason when they made it to the final four it might have been in indianapolis at conseco Fieldhouse or banker's life and the stadium's a lot bigger uh, sorry i think it was in a football stadium they were playing at final four so then it's different shooting in a football stadium they had a poor shooting performance i'm pretty sure that's why they lost i think I forget who they lost to, but I'm pretty sure that's why they lost in the final four is because they didn't shoot well. And then you have that week break between the elite eight and the final four, so there goes the momentum. Sure. I'm getting a little little off track. So
1: no, I totally feel you. I get that. I mean, you're, 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 you're breaking down, you know, the, the biochemistry of the psychiatry is what you're doing. So,
0: (laughs) so muscle memory, but yeah, Yeah. you, you want to talk about the psychology of an underdog because, well, you know, there's a, here's a
1: powerful statement there is no david without goliath there is no david without goliath
0: exactly there's no underdog in a vacuum like it's all in relation to the favorite mm-hmm. it's all in relation to the opponent and so, That's right. so just like the underdog might be overlooked sometimes the favorite they have too much eyes on them. They have too much, too many expectations on. Oh, this is mm-hmm. going to be easy.
1: Oh yeah, eyes on. Eyes on means pressure. pressure it's not forces. only the fans
0: that are overlooking the underdog. Sometimes it's the favorite. That's right. That's overlooking the underdog.
1: Oh yeah, and I mean that—that's the thing. Like uh, overlook, overlook, overlook. Um, yeah, I mean breaking that down, is it that? you are not taking them seriously because they're not you know seeing them because you don't think they're as good as you are or you don't think they can compete with you or is it because you're afraid that if you take them seriously that you may not like the result mm-hmm. you know a lot of times, yeah. I mean, that's why it's really important that good teams—you're uh, seeing good teams beating teams they should be beating, right? They should the games they should win, in addition to you know uh, the teams that you know are you know the most competitive. Because you know, I think you you learn a different thing about a team based on the opponent. Right. And the way in which they defeat their opponent. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting, the overlooking is kind of a character flaw in a team because I think the overlooking, you know, it suggests that there may be, maybe some overconfidence, maybe some overconfidence, you know, some inflated ego there because, oh, yeah. you know, you should really be showing up, you know, the same way for every opponent. Meaning it's all about winning. It's all about doing your, your best, putting your best foot forward, whatever you have, whatever the best is, you should always be thinking about that. In fact, if you're not thinking about that, I'm wondering to myself, what are you thinking about, right? Are you thinking about, uh, your opponent? Is that the distraction? Because that's a sign of a person that may not have strong mental fitness. Yeah.
0: So I think like, when I think of like a favorite getting beat getting upset what what happened did you neglect the work that you were putting in did you neglect the fundamentals did you neglect your routine that got you there in the first place did you think you could just flip the switch on i think we saw this with the clippers against the nuggets last year up three one thought they could we, it, kind of flip the switch but, back on neglected well, maybe well, some of the, the routine
1: you, i mean what were they doing you know it's like okay people say people say they were looking ahead of themselves to the lakers maybe they, maybe that maybe the problem was that's right? another
0: thing too you, you see you see the next opponent so that's that's directly overlooking that's you so you're not only maybe overlooking the things you need to do in the moment which is practice hard work hard stick to your fundamentals stick to your routine but you're also overlooking the opponent and seeing the lakers up next maybe seeing already like seeing yourself at the championship parade all these different things
1: but let's think about this story you're talking about doc rivers championship coach one of the best coaches in nba history um he's up against a team that just came back from down three one and they had a guy in jamal murray who was dropping like 50 pieces i don't know how you don't see that team coming you know i mean i just don't see i you know what I mean? Like by the time they got to the Clippers, we were kind of past the David Goliath thing. You know, they were they they showed tro- they showed themselves to be yeah. guys that could really do some scary things.
0: You don't want to give someone like Jamal Murray or or Jokic uh an ounce of freedom. You don't like you got they should have kicked that door in when they had the chance and yeah. And they, I think a lot of different things. Uh, they relied on maybe they relied on their skill. They relied on their talent, and they neglected the the all the other intangibles that you need to to win a competitive matchup against a team that is oftentimes the underdog, hungrier, uh, mm-hmm. chip on their shoulder, wanting to prove something. And everybody talked about all season that the Clippers were kind of acting as if they've won a championship before. Everyone was carrying that kind of Kawhi Leonard juice. Um, along with them and and it came back the bite and whether or not that's exactly what happened, but I'd I'd be hard pressed to, to accept that that didn't factor into why they got upset in the second round.
1: Great lesson learned though, man, really great lesson learned there because you can never relax, you know, you, you can never look too far ahead. Um, you can never think that you're safe, that you're okay. You should always be on top of your game you know that this is a professional league a lot of pride tremendous talent and you know i would say that the nba is is probably one league where you really do get the absolute best team in the end because it's a series a seven game series but in the regular series one and done i mean any one and done format anybody can win yeah you know it's all about the will to win really And that's what's so great about the underdog story is it really is is a um, a parable about the will to win and and why that is really the more important factor than than Mm -hmm. skill.
0: So I think a lot of times the underdog, and we're generalizing, this doesn't always happen because sometimes the underdog is is overlooked by the outsiders and maybe the favorite does take it seriously and underdog is just better and we we all missed it sitting on the outside but i think a lot of times what we see is and we're gonna have some great examples later in this podcast that the underdog is overlooked looked by their opponent and in the same light the underdog is not overlooking their opponent the underdog is studying their adversary harder than you could ever imagine so they know their opponent and then inside out whereas the adversary the, the favorite they're overlooking. So there's a mismatch there already. And that's that's when the underdog has their chance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and but again, you know, it it goes back to this notion of if you're a champion, right? So you're somebody that knows your sport, knows your craft, and you've proven yourself. You really have to question that judgment, you know, the judgment of a champion who who would overlook. An opponent, you know, because mm-hmm. that overlooking is suggestive of something way deeper, right? It's suggestive yeah. of not just you taking that that opponent seriously, but you taking the craft seriously, you taking your championship seriously, right? And that's a gratitude issue, right? That's yeah. that's the essence of gratitude. And that's why gratitude is always this kind of special sauce. Uh that's kind of hard to define, because you know, here's a situation where you have a person that you know, should ultimately be be very happy, uh and be so appreciative. We always talk about appreciation as it relates to gratitude, of you know, their successes and the rewards are the top, right? Of of and, and probably the most uh the, the richest, um, probably the one that gets the most attention. You know, all of these great things could of come with being the best, and yet they're not kind of paying it forward by putting in the work and the effort, at least to the same extent that, you know, got them there. That's a recipe for disaster, right? That shows that you don't appreciate how you got there and, and where you came from.
0: Yeah. I think along those lines, it all, it shows of a certain lack of an internal, uh, fortitude, internal motivation, sure. I think. And it speaks to the fact that you You maybe allow the external noise, the media who oftentimes paints the narrative of the underdog favorite Vegas, who puts the odds out there, you allow that to kind of seep in and kind of infect that internal motivation and in turn that leads to you under overlooking your opponent and and losing because you're not as prepared as you would be. Otherwise, if you, if you had that internal motivation, and then I think this transitions great into that kind of chip on the shoulder. Every, we see all these legendary athletes. They always keep that chip on their shoulder. They have this great way. The greats Tom Brady, LeBron James, Michael Jordan of, of continually adding fuel to the fire of motivation and come almost kind of just creating momentum creating this fuel out of nowhere creating mm-hmm. these chips out of nowhere like oh, absolutely it, almost to a point yes, where it's like indeed. relax dude come on like um tom brady has this insane internal motivation He's, he has nothing to prove to anyone he is but he has everything to prove to himself he 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 turns every slight, and like being supl- suspended the def- deflate gate came out and won a super bowl the following year bill belichick didn't want to keep him came out and won a super bowl the following year And those are actually pretty big slights, but he turns anything and adds, keeps adding different chips on his shoulder. Michael Jordan, if you watch that documentary, he found like anytime someone, the big, they would say the best way to guard Michael Jordan would be just be quiet, play defense. Don't say a single word to him. Cause if you start chirping, he's going to go at you Mm -hmm. and he's going to eat you alive, the great athletes, the great athletes have a great way of taking these external slights. And then internalizing them and adding them to their internal motivation. Oh yeah. So at the end of the day, they're motivated just for themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah no, I, I get that. And I think that what gets triggered in that context is a level of confidence that sort of almost like is almost like, a, a blind confidence, a you know kind of, um, egocentric sort of confidence. Associated with certainly a high, you know, level of emotional resilience, that I, I term, affirmational confidence. Um, We term affirmational confidence here, uh, sports IMDs, which is, you know, this this, ultimately this form of confidence that it sort of enables you to access resilience. Dare I say, on command when poked by the bear right when activated when motivated um you can sort of just access that that momentum right that that drive needed to will yourself and your team to victory because of that trigger you know And and, and uh that that affirmational you know sort of confidence can you know sort of almost like turns like a rage right um i'll tell you a guy who has affirmational confidence doesn't have you know he's not the most skilled player uh you know certainly not the most talented player but his affirmation of confidence actually helps him has helped him become a champion that's Draymond green
0: i get second round draft pick i would we we talked about him in late bloomers i would characterize him a lot of people would be as, as an underdog coming into the league at least
1: well certainly yeah anytime a second round draft pick and i love that we're talking about draft picks because draft pick is is all about the underdog theory all right the whole notion of draft pick but anytime a second rounder becomes a hall of famer that's that's legendary underdog status right there right mm-hmm. Le, a lot of people don't necessarily realize it is a numbers
0: game it is an absolutely numbers game every nba team overlooked him in the first round
1: exactly every when I, them thought there was a better guy. But here's the thing. It is always a numbers game. We talked about numbers in the beginning, and I'm going to bring it back up again. Because we talk about odds, we talk about betting, we talk about these things. You know, there really aren't that many people in the NBA. The NBA is an elite organization, right? It's like, basically, you know, you're talking about maybe a hundred guys that get actual like playing time that are like, playing on a regular basis that are like a regular part of the rotation that are like you know notable right they can say like this is my job and this is you know like they could they could say hey you could find me you know there my basketball card or whatever right i mean about 100 guys and then maybe like 200 total players right each roster with about 30 teams, about 15 or so players, but really only like 10 guys probably actually get playing time, you know, and, and, and really, I would say among those 10, probably only like eight of them are in like the regular rotation, you know? So it's a very elite group, uh, the NBA, and this is like an international field. So we're talking about, you know, two to 250 athletes out of, you know, over the across the globe okay this is an elite group all of them in my opinion i mean this is the top 1% right all of them are great all of them are talented so when you're talking about among that pool the top what 10 top 20 uh you're talking about you know people that are like basically genetic freaks, you know, freaks of nature, mm-hmm. uh, right? Like superhuman, like back in the day, in the, you know, they talked about a guy named Goliath, right? In the, in the, in the biblical story of David and Goliath, and described a man that was, you know, this, they were probably talking about uh, an NBA player, frankly, right? <laughs> like a person that probably was a seven footer, um, who just towered over everybody. And uh, like a Shaquille O'Neal kind of person, right? Mm. Just, just a giant. Um, and to to think that Draymond Green was a defensive player of the year. So a guy picked in the second round. So all the guys coming out of college that year, 30 guys went before him. However many guys in the second round before him were taken before him. And he ended up being the best, defensive player in the world defense is about hustle right that's all it's all about Mm -hmm. will effort and effort and not only that but he is a three-time nba champion and will be in the hall of fame first Mm -hmm. ballot so second rounder i mean that's the underdog all
0: the way yeah. And talk about, so he definitely plays with his chip on his shoulder. So I just, I want to break this down and relate it back to some of our key principles here. If you're the person who excels an underdog, and this isn't to say that I think to excel as any type of athlete, you obviously want to embody these, these four principles, but this is what underdogs take advantage of the most. They use that chip on their shoulder. And how can you use that chip on your shoulder to play better? Cause sometimes you, you let that external noise come inward That can throw you off your game, but if you embody these mental fitness principles, you can allow that chip on your shoulder to motivate you, so you have to be self-aware. You have to realize, okay, I do better. I play better off emotion, and I play better when I'm passionate, and that passion in turn creates extraordinary effort, and then being grateful, being grateful to play the game. I don't need fans to play this game. I just love the game. I love the competition. I love just beating my man. I love working harder than the man next to me i love getting that rebound over him or her i love catching that pass over them i'm confident i'm confident in my abilities to the oh, point yeah. where the doubters they can keep talking to me i'm not going to waver i'm actually going to turn the doubters into i'm going to add them as fuel to my fire to prove them wrong and then at the end of the day i'm going to be able to communicate if i'm in a team sport and even in individual sports at the highest level you're working with the whole team to uplift my teammates to make them play better to make them more confident and that's the recipe to overcome Mm. any obstacle to beat the favorite, to win the championship, to take, to make a deep run in any sport you play.
1: Hey, that's greatness right there. You know, I mean that you're just, just describing greatness in a nutshell. I mean, you know, once you've achieved a level of confidence where it's not just your ability to elevate yourself, but you trust your teammates you trust, you know, the, the people around you, uh, and they trust in you, right? So it's just that, that synergy, that, that reinforcement that's really when you can make them better, you feed off each other. And that's when you've achieved greatness. Yep. And you gotta team, be, we for can't sure. forget.
0: You gotta be mindful of the moment, what it requires, stick to your routine, stick to what got you there, focus on all these principles. And then you consistency, you can overcome Goliath yep. and consistency, not just
1: in, in terms of like, you know, your, your, your performance and execution, but even consistency in terms of like what you're allowing to, you know, to kind of stay in your head, you know, you want to filter out that negative energy, you know, you don't want to focus on things first off that you can't control you definitely don't want to focus on the doubters you know the haters the social media trolls you know you want to just focus on what you have to do right what's right in front of you you hear the the uh the big time professional athletes talk about it all the time like i'm only worried about this next game right this next opponent that's my focus that's all i'm focused on that's all i care about the noise the you know the Commentary, you know, that, that doesn't matter to me. That's that's where you gotta be. That's where you wanna be.
0: And where you don't wanna be is February nineteen ninety in Tokyo going on a bender the night before you fight for the heavyweight championship, as a Mike Tyson. <laughs> when you're a forty-two to one favorite. Oh my so God. let's talk let's talk about some one. of the biggest mm-hmm. underdog stories in sports history
1: you know you and i were debating this earlier you know and, and you mentioned this this one underdog story where i guess in a european oh, we'll, soccer get the, we'll get the leicester city 5000 well, I know we'll get there listen that be that as it may in team sports i think a lot can happen i think the more people right participants that you involve in the competition you know, the the more rules, the more complexity, uh, the more dynamics, I think the more ways that the odds can kind of range, but when you're talking about like one-on-one, right, just a one-on-one competition, particularly in a fight, not to say that boxing isn't about skill, but, you know, I, I mean, doctors, like we know about this, like there are certain places you get hit. It doesn't matter like at what your skill level is, like you're you're out. You know, you 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 get hit with enough force in certain parts of the head, that's it, you know, or like in the jaw or whatever, that's it. So, you know, it's there's a lot to it, man. And all I'm saying is 42 to <laughs> 1, really for like I've never
0: seen that before. You're putting
1: you're putting two men in the same ring. And frankly, Buster Douglas is a, is much bigger, was much bigger, I remember, than Mike Tyson. Um, and well, frankly, a lot of his opponents were bigger than him and he still leveled them. But I just think that it was like total disrespect, you know, to, to like another man um, to say that it would take, you know, 42, like 43, times in this ring you know a match between these 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 two before there's any possible chance that that guy can beat that guy right i mean that's that's almost like what this is saying it's like like a two percent three percent chance it's almost almost impossible Mm -hmm. is what they're saying um is what they said for this man and buster douglas i was looking back he actually was not like a nobody i mean he was seventh ranked in the world um which is an awful you know uh he you know had been in fights you know big fights before as a journeyman
0: he'd won six fights in a row uh
1: journeyman and and he was a guy that so he'd been around right he was a vet right he was a veteran he was he was a guy that had some experience and had been in the ring before um but then the other thing about about him. You mentioned it earlier, an important point that he won six in a row. So this was like his shot, right? It was, it was this was his chance, his big chance. But um tragically, Buster Douglas, uh, his his mother had passed away like very close to the start of that fight. I'm mean, not, I don't I think it was like the night before, but it was like within days or maybe a week, you know, within weeks. I mean, it was very, very, very soon. 20, 23 days. 23. So, you know, I mean, he's still in like the early stages of grief, right? I mean, they just probably sadly had her funeral, you know, I mean, it,
0: it, it terrible. And training camp for these things last six weeks. Oh weeks. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was right in the middle of, you know, obviously training and, and, uh, I just, I mean, that's just devastating. You I can't even imagine, but <laughs> okay. Big, but in all other contexts, I would be like, I would kind of feel sorry for buster douglas but in this context i actually kind of would feel sorry for the guy that he has to fight because i'm like well damn i mean you know like of all times to fight a dude you know and like they just they just like fuck everything right They're just like we're just gonna like lay it all out oh, and yeah. we have, you know you're just nothing nothing right? to lose like in that stage of grief i lost my mother i'm a f- and he was probably squarely in that anger phase of grief, right? He'd gotten past the sadness, you know, uh, and and he was just like rage. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Mike Tyson had to kind of contend with in the midst of clearly overlooking this dude.
0: Yeah. So not only were this, the announcers, the fans, Vegas... Overlooking Buster Douglas, but it looks like, like Tyson was as well, and Tyson's camp was, and there also, as there is a lot of times when you see these big upsets, is a lot of distractions with Mike Tyson. He was at the peak of his powers at this point. I think he had previously knocked out his last competitor in like 93 seconds, but there was rumors of an allegedly abusive relationship with Robin Givens, contract battles between his manager and his promoter Don King. He actually departed from his longtime trainer. Kevin Rooney, which they have this oh long, wow interesting so, relationship. So and wow.
1: so he 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 was actually his life was kind of in disarray, mm-hmm. you know, in in some ways and a lot people, of distractions.
0: People were overlooking because they were setting up the with the number one contender, setting up a, a fight with the number one contender, Evander Holyfield. So maybe he was oh, looking yeah, into that. Of There's rumors. So yeah, so right. the source is Bobby Brown, that he was out there and took it with him, and they had went out partying the night before. And rumor is that Mike Tyson called Buster Douglas an amateur and said, if I didn't sleep for five weeks, I could still beat him. Wow. Now, this is Bobby Brown saying this, and rumor has, they were doing a lot of nose clams maybe the night before, the couple days before. So definitely overlooked, definitely underprepared. And even in the fight, it's, it sounds like, and it looks like that his cornermen were unprepared. They didn't have specific the right ice packs. They had to do a makeshift ice pack and put ice like into a plastic yeah. glove and it just things looks like things just went totally awry wow. and despite that in the fight mike tyson dropped buster douglas like in the eighth round
1: He, he sure he sure did now and he and, when, and i and, and so I, I saw the whole fight i saw it live so I, you know when it when it happened and and i'll tell you like everything you're saying is spot on like you could tell i i was a mike tyson fan even as a child and I actually watched like videos, like recorded videos, pre-recorded videos of like his previous fights, like when I was like too small to even appreciate what I would have been watching. So I knew all about him. I, I knew his moves and in that particular fight, he it was no doubt that he was not prepared, like he just was not as sharp. He wasn't Mike Tyson, you know, he was definitely off, but what happened like most great players, um, boxers, he did eventually get into rhythm. So the first like few rounds were definitely shaky and it was weird because, you know, Mike was a guy that beat a lot of dudes in the first round. Like he was so intimidating. He used to come out swinging and just scare people, you know, and, and he would usually catch, catch you, you know, pretty early on and just kind of like scare. I mean, he would hit you so hard that you, I'm sure the first thought was like, am I going to really be able to go 12 more rounds, you know, with this too. Um, But in this case, There wasn't the same zing to his punches. He his timing was off. He actually was looked a little like, kind of just out of it. I mean, you could just look at him and tell, um, and it showed. But when he hit Buster Douglas, okay, and he knocked him down, I will tell you again as a fan that have known this guy, that should have ended the fight. Okay, so I I saw Mike Tyson hit. Bigger men than Buster Douglas, presumably better fighters than Buster Douglas, at least according to the odds. Uh, probably not even quite as hard as that, and knocked him out cold.
0: Mm.
1: When that man rose from that, I knew that Mike was in trouble, and I think he did too. Mm. There was clearly something else going on when he rose from getting hit like that. Uh, Buster Douglas and decide, and and you could even tell w- w- in the looking in his eyes when he got up that he was like, like I can take this dude. Like he was like, if if that's the best that he has, then like you could tell the confidence. It it was pretty. It was very impressive to watch. Wow.
0: Actually. And I think Buster knocked him out in a couple rounds later. And yeah. Well, and after the fight, Buster Douglas, emotional. Um, post fight interview he said essentially because of my mother god bless her heart that's what was a quote from him why he he fought so hard and why he won he laid it out there he had nothing to lose and uh, was he pressuring tyson pretty much the whole fight he, like he it looked like he wasn't afraid
1: never back down it, it was it was honestly not just the result you know a lot of times the underdog story is more about like the you know, there was like some lucky shot, right? Or something that happened that should not have happened, I guess, and kind of changes the course of things. I'll tell you right now, what was most impressive about, about that particular underdog story and that match was that, I mean, if you didn't know any better, you would have thought that Buster Douglas was the champion and Tyson the contender. I mean, he came in there like he owned the place,
0: wow.
1: you know, he like he had been there before. Um, he never showed any sign of fear. You know, he was just kind of like that, you know, that kind of Steph Curry, like just kind of, you know, just flat. Emotionless facial, you know, facial expression, affect. And And he in terms of boxing terms you know, he was kind of the aggressor, right? I mean, he was the guy that was kind of chasing Tyson a bit. You know, I mean, he certainly wasn't backing down, and uh, and he would take his punches and keep coming. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that honestly got in Tyson's head because Tyson, just to kind of bring this 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 thing home, like the most he, he but our listeners, and I want our younger listeners to understand something about about there is no UFC equivalent to Mike Tyson. I can't even put. Muhammad Ali in, in in the exact same category because while Ali is still the greatest ever, um Mike Tyson, there was something different about him. He put the fear of God in men in ways that I hadn't only seen a few athletes do. I think we talked about this in other episodes. Michael Jordan had that ability, Tiger Woods. But when you talk about a fighting sport, right? Mm-hmm. Combat sport it means something more oh, yeah. and you're talking about going into the ring as a man. Who's basically five, eight, five, nine, which he was against six foot five, six foot six, 270 pound, you know, men like, I mean, seemingly twice your size is chopping them down like trees in a matter of seconds. They are champions, not just like these random dudes off the street. Like they, he won the belt beating dudes pretty much twice. The, multiple championships actually had three belts at one time
0: oh he was the lineal heavyweight champion wba wbc ibf
1: right i mean but he beat his the, the 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 outgoing champions man like like just mercilessly you know like to the point where not only did he knock them out like early in the fights oftentimes the first round but he knocked them senseless right he embarrassed them he had these men cowering in fear. And then when he knocked them out, it was like they were out. Whole like, it was like, you can't even come back mm. from that. right? It's it's like violent. A devastating. Kind of like when um, Holly Holm,
0: right? Uh, beat Took out Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey, it's kid. like,
1: you can't even come back from that. It's like, it just, it just ruined, he ruined men. You know, he, it was yeah. that type of guy. And he often won the fight before he even got into the ring because the fear that he was, he, he he put into people. And so for Buster Douglas to fight the way that he did, where he just kept coming at him, you know, he took every punch and he gave it right back. It was just so impressive to watch. I, Mm -hmm. I'll probably never see anything quite like it in my lifetime.
0: No, and the kind of what kind of exemplifies that specific matchup that David versus Goliath matchup is the following fight uh, that Buster Douglas has as the champion against the number one contender, uh, Evander Holyfield, he came into that fight 14 pounds heavier and he got knocked out by Evander Holyfield in the third round. So he, it's, out, and obviously time had passed since his mother had passed. And and, 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 uh,
1: to be honest with you, and if anybody who saw that fight, you know, that you could say he got knocked out. He really just quit, man. Like it was actually pretty sad. Um, he pretty much, he got hit, he fell, but he kind of got up and. You could tell he sort of looks like kneeling on his side. Um, and he just sort of was like looking around, you could tell he yeah, had was looking in his eyes, like I could get up right now, but you know what? I've made my money. You know, I, <laughs> I've I've been champion for how many months now I, I did what I ultimately wanted to do. I'm good. Yeah. You could tell that he
0: was just like, I'm good. <laughs> so he lost, he lost that and Tina have that internal motivation. He lost that passion. He lost that fire. That he had in the, when he was there, it was was never who he is in his, in his case, it was never really who he was. He captured it in that moment. It was a, it was a beautiful combination of not only him focusing on all these different mental fitness and resilience and using that chip on the shoulder, using that emotion from his mother's death to work his ass off. But it was also Mike Tyson overlooking him and Mike Tyson, not sticking to his basics, sticking to what allowed him to become the lineal heavyweight champion and and taking buster douglas for granted and and there you have probably the biggest upset in sports history
1: for me it is no doubt about it no doubt about it um but it's so interesting how the story behind the story really uh tells the tale of the tape right uh as an ode to larry merchant the great boxing commentator um because i didn't know uh, all the turmoil that mike had going on in, in the background all the distractions i had no idea at the time and even though they announced it on they
0: don't, they don't become distractions until
1: someone loses exactly well i well i'll tell you i didn't even know about the buster douglas you know the situation the tragedy in his life until the day of my point is you know these are things that if you're betting Right. If you're placing bets, making bets, you know, you, you got to take into consideration, because these are things that are going to influence that that fighter or that performer's mental fitness. And as we talk about over and over again on on you know these these shows, and you know, as we've had experts come on here and talk about, as you know, all the greats talk about, you know, in, in different interviews, mental fitness. Is at least as important to competitive greatness as physical fitness, is you know, your, your physical skill set and your talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's no doubt that the underdog story is just a great kind of moniker of conveying that that very theme of the power of mental fitness on one hand to those that people bet against, and you know, the power in terms of what it can take away you know, from mm-hmm. those that are the favorites when they don't res- when they don't respect it.
0: Absolutely. How else do we get these underdog stories? How else does the, the team like Leicester city, win the premier league in 2016, when they're 5,000 to one long shot to win, when their payroll of around hundred million is, is about the, the same amount as a single player on another team or a quarter of the amount yeah of another team their, their payrolls a quarter of the amount of manchester united close to the same amount of kevin de Bruyne, who's the best player on manchester uh, city leicester city check it out from the 2016 season the fight all odds and won the premier league and this is there's no salary cap in the premier league so it's every year it's one of the top five, i think five teams that that shell out the most money there's uh Le- Leicester City's payroll is 17th compared. Um, they so their payroll in, in the 2015-2016 season. Just to give a little backstory, was less than 50 million versus Chelsea was 215, Manchester United 203, Manchester City 193, Arsenal 192, and Liverpool 152.
1: That sounds like the type and of disparity you see in Major League Baseball.
0: <laughs> exactly. But at least Major League Baseball has somewhat of a cap. But yeah, you do see it a lot, and that's why the Dodgers, the Red Sox, Yankees are usually always good. But since 1993, when the or 1992, when the Premier League started, only two teams outside of that top, those top, those top spending teams, have ever won the Premier League. And Leicester City became second in 2006 or 2016. Now, how many how many Premier League championships have there been? Is it like an annual every year? Or is it like multiple every year?
1: And how many years has it been a an exist, or how many years
0: has that team been around? So that team, that was their first time winning a title in, in their 132 year history. And just wow. so you know, the, the year before years. the 2014 2015 season, they were only a couple points away from being relegated. So those of you who don't follow the Premier League. Just imagine being like the 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 Golden State Warriors last year for finishing in the bottom four. If it they played it like the Premier League, they'd be playing in the G League this year. So if you finish in the bottom four, you get demoted down to the second tier. Purgatory. So they were almost demoted yeah. the year before, and then went on to become champions. And that's probably the biggest team upset, team underdog victory in the history of sports. Um, we don't talk a lot yeah. about soccer, but well, a lot of like their coach 64 year old Italian coach that had, had as a journeyman, all their players are journeymen. all their players have been overlooked. Their coach has been overlooked. Yeah. And
1: I mean, yeah, that's just like the classic, It's like the, the quintessential underdog story, kind of like the movie, the movie, Rudy, mm-hmm. right. It's just that, you know, not, not exactly one in a million, but kind of like that, right. Just. Uh, you know, this impossible, you know, kind of story. But, uh, you know, I I think there's there's that aspect of it. But then there's another layer to it that you don't often hear about, which is how the, the way that you value a team or a person through a draft pick, you know, the draft stock, so to speak, you know, or. You know, like. For example, how much you give them in terms of a salary, right? Their their contract, um, you know that that has a way. I think some you know certain personality types, certain characters, characteristics um, of motivating them, right? Because if you believe your value is higher than that, if you truly believe that, you want to prove that, right? If, I mean, you you want these types of people. There are there well, there are people out there that want to prove those, those folks wrong. They want
0: is that chip on the shoulder,
1: is the, the chip on the shoulder, but there are other, other, other people who maybe actually really are pretty good. Um, and maybe they really were, you know, under underestimated and maybe they're, they're the kind of person that really does appreciate that external validation, you know, and having that type of pick, you know, being undervalued may actually have a a devastating impact on on their confidence and their ability to really perform because they're almost kind of owning the narrative there, right? They're owning that characterization of who they are rather than being who they really are, right? And so one of the benefits of mental fitness, which course teaches and promotes resilience, Is that you? You, you know, and this is one of the first things we we teach: is self-aware, right? Self-awareness, like we promote through mindfulness exercise, mindfulness practice. The strength and and power of self-awareness, and how once you, once you become comfortable with who you are, your role, like, what value you you should be bringing, you know, based on your God-given ability, and then also, you know, your mental fitness, you know, and all the things that, that make you who you are, like, once you really embrace that, that's when you can start to really get better, right, and become an even better performer, an even better teammate, and have an even, you know, greater impact on your profession, on your sport, you know, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. And, and for all you like coaches and parents out there that want to kind of foster this and your, your, your children and your athletes and, and your players, it's all about positive reinforcement, like you mentioned, but you want to make sure that how it's perceived by your child or how it's perceived by your athlete is as positive reinforcement. You want that reward to be positively reinforcing of these principles that we talked about. So I'll give an example real quick. So say your athlete, they get a full night's rest the night before. Maybe they do a gratitude exercise the night before, like you've went over. They do a mindfulness exercise before practice. They go into practice and you have a scrimmage that day. They have a great scrimmage, a couple touchdowns, um, or they, they shoot lights out from three. So what you do in that situation sure. is you reward them. You reward them with praise. You talk about how you reinforce that positive behavior. You're like, oh see what you did. You had a great night's sleep. You did your gratitude exercise your mindfulness, you performed great. You did a good job. I'm really like seeing what you're doing out there. Just give them that positive encouragement. That's positively enforcing versus if you give a reward in a different direction and it's perceived as like you trying to control their behavior. So an example, on the other hand, if you require these exercises to be done in order, like say, all right, tonight you have to do, You have to do, you have to prove to me, you did a gratitude exercise and you have to prove to me, you did a mindfulness exercise before practice, and you have to do those two things. And then, then you can start in the scrimmage, you can be a starter, but you have to do those two things first. So if you kind of reward it that way, then that's more, that can be easily perceived as you trying to control their behaviors versus allowing them to do it on their own. And then positively reinforcing that that's a lot easier for the the individual, the player to internalize. And then eventually over time, they're not going to need that praise because that motivation becomes internalized versus if you're controlling them in a way of, you have to check these boxes before you can even play. That's going to just not work out in your favor.
1: Mm -hmm. Spoken like a great child psychiatrist right there. That's good stuff to the parents out there. Um, yeah, I hope you, uh, you, you caught my boy dropping those dimes. Yeah, for sure. Love it. So. I think it would be uh, a shame if we don't uh, end this podcast with a rundown of some of the great underdog stories in sports history. Because really, like we said in the beginning, man, the underdog story is the American story, right? It, it's, it's, you know, the, yeah. the greatest sports stories are going to either be those stories of like, you know, the raw, just hard-nosed dominance. So
0: give me one, your your favorite Team underdog story and your favorite individual underdog.
1: Okay. Um well individual underdog would probably, yeah, I mean that that would be the, the Buster Douglas Mike Tyson thing. Uh team underdog. Yeah, actually I know exactly what it is. Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady's uh first cha- first Super Bowl run. No doubt. I that's that's that that's my favorite.
0: talk about a guy drafted 199th always kept that chip on his shoulder he definitely was an underdog against the uh what was it the that
1: that was such an inspiration yeah I mean I because I I was I was just really like maturing in, in terms of my you know football knowledge and awareness as a fan um and you know I I must say at that time man you know the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk and, and that crew, like
0: another underdog.
1: Yeah, for sure. But they, but at that, point offense, were the man, favorites. oh my God, that was the, that was probably the most high, high powered, high, high energy offense I'd ever seen on the field before. I mean, oh, yeah. they,
0: they were definitely ahead of their time.
1: Yeah. And, and they were ahead of their time and it just didn't seem like there was any chance, honestly, like any chance at all that, that Tom Brady could win. I mean, just especially because he had kind of been a little shaky, you know, some of the previous playoff games. And we all know about the, you know, the game against the Raiders, um, it's like the, you know, what do they always, they always refer to it as the, uh, Tuck rule. The tuck rule was the tuck rule game. Yeah. Where, you know, he throws the pass, but it was knocked out of, uh, of his hands fumbled and the referees, ruled that
0: he was tucking it down and, yeah. and Charles Woodson knocked Charles it out Woodson, but.
1: that's right so that whole play I mean that was obviously legendary and then you know that led to the Super Bowl but for me I was like man the fact that he even got to the Super Bowl was kind of good enough I mean I wasn't expecting nobody was expecting because he was a backup I mean you know Drew Drew Bledsoe excuse me Drew Bledsoe was New England's uh quarterback starting quarterback uh, and a guy I actually really liked, um, and when he went down on injury, it's actually pretty sad. I, you know, and frankly, the Patriots weren't exactly favorites going to the Super Bowl. or excuse me, weren't exactly favorites going into the playoffs to begin with, even with a healthy Drew blood. So, so for for Tom Brady to come in there and just really will his team, you know, to to victory. Um, second year in the league, a guy that was picked in the sixth round. I mean his story may in a sense be you know that 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 particular playoff one would be top five oh, yeah. right in in most people's greatest
0: underdog yep, stories of all absolutely. time what about you oh i'll just counter that this is it's not necessarily my favorite but i think it, it works well with this discussion but uh 2008 new york giants were uh 14 point underdogs to the undefeated new england patriots and uh they had the, at that point the new england patriots pretty much rewrote the record books offensive oh, record books. Oh my god, this is
1: Randy Randy Moss. Randy yeah, Moss's yeah, big season. So yeah, So they
0: were the number one offense in the history of the NFL at that point, averaging thirty six point eight points per game. And in the Super Bowl, they only scored 14. And Eli Manning, David Tyree, Justin Tuck, Michael yeah. Strahan. That was fun. Yeah. You know that that's a different type of underdog. That that's the
1: cool thing about the underdog story is that it, it's there are different types of mm-hmm. underdog stories right like i don't think that the Patriots necessarily overlooked the giants like that that's really not the kind of guy no, that tom brady Bell, is yeah. it's certainly not the kind of guy that bill belichick is they're not overlooking anybody they prepared i think it was just eli manning you know just uh he just is a special well not just him but i mean something happening with that franchise obviously the whole the whole team but but then again but it's because the defense played really well but i mean eli manning like you know, there's just something. He's just one of those guys. He's like a, almost like that. If Nick Foles had, like, you know, more longevity, more consistency, or something like that, um, he just knows how to turn it on. You know, when when the his best is required. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, and uh, that's that's another thing that underdogs can do. You just don't see him coming. You know?
0: Yeah, yep. <laughs> and in, in some cases, you do see him coming. When LeBron with the Cavs won in 2016, upset the 73 win Warriors when they were down three one. You want it? No one would really characterize LeBron or that team with Kyrie and Kevin Love as as your classic underdog, but they were in that situation and they yeah. got it done. But there's there's so many. Sure different
1: sure They sure did get it done. And I think that's probably to your point right there what makes the underdog story so special and what legends are made of is because like in that case, there's a story behind it that kind of makes the difference. You know, there's this kind of undertone, right? Like in this case, LeBron coming back to Cleveland and kind of reconciling, you know, those those differences. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there was just so many things that, uh, you know, that are like behind the scenes when it comes to under, underdog stories that, uh, just, just makes for, uh, for, for folklore and you know makes for podcast fodder and, you know, yeah yeah, we just to where we are today.
0: Yeah. You know, great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shout out to Muggsy Bose Shout out to Vince Papali, Jeremy Lynn Jim Abbott, all these, all these classic underdogs, Classics. but whether you're an underdog or you're the favorite, don't overlook your opponent and focus in. Spud web. Spud
1: Webb, a classic Muggsy Bogues.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, we cannot, we cannot go forward without talking about the the, the shortest players in the history of the no, NBA. Five three. And yet, and yet, they both had lengthy careers. You know, they're good solid players.
0: Yeah, Muggsy Bogues is ranked twenty third in assists in NBA history. Dude is five three, and he played fourteen years in the league. Nearly a foot and a half shorter than gravity player. Unbelievable! Over seven inches shorter than me.
1: So then, what we're talking about, you know, you know what you just did, Toria. You didn't. You know what you just gone and did. You just gone and did, and got us a sequel, right? We have to have a sequel now because what you're bringing to bear is that there are actually different types of mental fitness underdogs, right? We have physical underdog, like a Mugsy Bogues. We have intellectual underdog and we have emotional underdog. So we, we, you know, we can frame this into, you know, different types of of ways that, that people are underdogs. They seize the moment. Right.
0: Absolutely. And that's the beauty about these, these mental fitness principles. Practicing gratitude, mindfulness, self-awareness, building up that confidence, communicating with other people is you don't have to, they work when you're the underdog they work when you're at a disadvantage they work when you're at an advantage they just work they work regardless of your physical capabilities your intellectual capabilities your emotional capabilities these things work and you're going to be better off for them
1: yeah it's kind of interesting right an emotional underdog right um underdog the reason why it's such an, a fascinating principle is it's this It's again it's this notion of you don't see what they see right like the people that are the so-called you know evaluators the ones appraising the ones you know doing the commentating right the ones offering their opinion the so-called experts they just don't see it it's not that it's not there right it's not that the emotional resilience isn't there that the intellectual resilience is it's not that the physical resilience isn't there it's just that they don't see it coming and that's the beauty of it
0: all right that's the beauty of it. well, in the stigma
1: let's continue the conversation